Well, hey, church, this is one of the, I don't know, it's one of the biggest weeks of the year here at Grace, at least for us. As, uh, as AJ mentioned, that we have five Christmas services next weekend, starting on Friday. And so I uh, just want to encourage you guys, and really, I just want to challenge you guys uh, to invite, 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 invite. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't, it makes no sense to me because this is the busiest time of year, but it is what it is. For some reason, Christmas is the best time to invite people to church and, um, and it's even better than Easter, and so just want to encourage you to do that. That's why we got five services, five different times, uh, in case one doesn't work. Hopefully, one of those times uh, will work from you or your family member or your neighbor or your friend or your coworker, and, um, and so just want to encourage you guys to use that, all right? Silence. Third service, man. I'm used to it. Okay, there we are. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Hey, I have a, uh, a brother-in-law. Uh, his name is Calvin. And um, he is a special agent uh, for the Secret Service. So he gets to protect the president and stuff. And uh, he started this job a couple years ago. And I remember it was, this was his first week on the job. And I walked into my dad's house. And my dad was like, hey, did you hear the story about Calvin and President Biden? And I'm like, no. What is it? And he was like, yeah, Calvin messed up big time. And I'm like, well, what happened? And my dad didn't really know all the details and everything. And so he's like, something about a garage door. I don't even know for sure. And I'm like, what are you, the garage door? What are you talking about here? And, uh, and there's, by the way, there's something about like hearing a piece of news or hearing some information um, or, or hearing at least a small part of a story that makes you want to dig in, right? Like we've all been there. We're like, wait, tell me more about that. That's what I want to know about. And, um, and sh- later that evening, I-, I called my sister because I got questions. Like, what happened with you and President Biden? Like, you know, normally people in my family don't rub shoulders with Biden, um, you know, in general or any president. I'm not picking on Biden or my family, I guess. That's who I'm picking on. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I'm just like, what's, so what happened? That's what I want to know. And so I called my sister. She has me on speakerphone. I'm talking to Calvin. I'm like, Calvin, what happened? And he's like, oh, man, it was terrible. He said, um, Biden was going to speak at some, it was like some factory in Wisconsin somewhere. And he said, um, this was, again, his first week on the job, really his first like major gig as like a, you know, doing something special as a Secret Service agent. And um, his only job all day was to press a button. Okay, that was his job, right? Uh, When the president's limo comes into the building, his job was to press the button and the garage door goes down, all right? Press the button, garage door goes down. He even told me, he's like, I even practiced it over and over and over again just in case he like got pressing the button wrong, you know? It's the kind of job you give to like, you know, the new guy. And he was the new guy, so that's what he got. Uh, he was the rookie. And so, um, and so that's what they did. He said everything was going according to plan. President Biden's limo drove into the garage, right, of this building, and he pressed the button, but nothing happened. He was like, I went through this. He's like, I just got done practicing this just a few minutes ago. And here it is. The garage door is not going. And, uh, and so he starts to panic because he's like, dude, someone has like a gun or something. Like, like this is like, like the worst thing that could possibly happen. I don't know, as a, as a Secret Service agent. And then Biden gets out of the car, which he wasn't, I don't think, necessarily supposed to do yet because it wasn't clear. And he's getting out. And he said he, and he was taking a really long time getting out of the car. And then he says he's trying to press the button. And then there's a bunch of, uh, there's a bunch of like, like press and everything that they start, they see President Biden. So they start coming through the garage door and he's like trying to hold everybody back. It's like a flood of people. And he's like, whoa, stop, stop, stop. Nobody's paying attention to him. He goes back to the button in his ear. They're like, press the button, 
right? Closed the garage door. And he's like, I can't. It's not, it's not going. And, uh, and it's just one of those weird things. You ever hear a weird, weird story like that? And you're like, you're like, dude, that's, that's weird, but also kind of cool at the same time, like, like that type of thing. And he found out later that actually there was like a sensor that wasn't going on because the car was parked not in the right spot and just all this stuff that actually wasn't even his fault that the button, that the button wasn't working. Um, but it's just one of those things where you hear like, like a tiny piece of a story and it makes you dig in and it makes you want to ask questions. Is it true? Is that what exactly happened? Give me the play-by-play of, of, what, of you know, what, what happened and what, what went on. And what's crazy about it is that not only does the story become more accurate when you talk to the person who is actually there, but it also becomes more real because this person right, that you're talking to that's telling you the story or whatever, um, <coughs> he or she, um, they not only saw what happened or heard what happened, but they experienced it. And they experienced what happened. And luckily for us, as we look back on the first Christmas story 2,000 years ago, we have a Greek doctor named Luke who dug into the greatest story in the history of the world. And it's one of those things, it's a story about a man who lived 2,000 years ago who actually claimed to be God. And it's one of those stories that a lot of people honestly had trouble believing. People are like, what? I don't know about this old Jesus guy. Is this true? Is he, you know, is, is, it, is it for real? And part of it was just because it just seemed too good to be true. It's one of those things that was just like too unbelievable. It was too amazing. The God of the universe who the Bible says he just created, you know, just using his words. He was just like earth. And it was like earth, you know, like that type of thing. Like that God who just created using his words. He's all powerful. He's almighty. He's completely holy. That that God would leave his throne room to come down to us, to be born in the dirt, to become one of us on a rescue mission for us. It's just one of those stories. It's just like, man, is, are you sure? Like, is that actually what happened? And Luke was there in the sense of he wanted to know the details just like we do. And he wanted to hear about Jesus from the people who were actually there and from the people who actually saw what he did and the people who actually heard what he said and the people who actually experienced him. And that's why we talked about last week as he starts off this, this account of Jesus' life. He, he starts off by saying, hey, I have carefully investigated. I've spent a bunch of time, and this probably took him a few years to, to figure all this out. He's like, I, I, I talked to the people who are actually eyewitnesses. He's saying, I sat down with them. We talked. We had conversations. And I was the one saying, okay, all right, then what happened? And then what? And what about this? And oh, is there anybody that can, that can verify that? I don't know if that's true or not. And he said, I'm the one who went through and I did all the research and I talked to all of the eyewitnesses. And then he writes it all down. That is the book of Luke in our Bible, right? That's what the book of Luke is. And so it's interesting as he starts off with what we would describe as the Christmas story. Of course, back then they didn't have the word Christmas that they called it the Christmas story. But as he begins, he doesn't start with Mary and Joseph or stars or mangers or shepherds or anything like that. Right? He actually goes back further than that. And instead of talking about a young girl or sorry, yeah, a young um, girl who's part of a you know, newly engaged couple who's expecting a kid, he actually begins... The, uh, he begins the story with an older couple who's been married for many, 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 many years who've been unable to have a kid. And that's what we talked about last week. We began um, talking about how 
this old priest named Zechariah, he was doing his thing in the temple, and this angel shows up, and he's just like, hey, what's up, Zechariah? Guess what? You are going to have a kid, and this kid is going to grow up, and, uh, and he's going to be known as John, and actually, we're going to know him as, as by a nickname called John the Baptist, and he's like, and this guy is going to get everybody ready for him, the Savior, the one that the Jewish people have been waiting for, for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. The Messiah is what they called him. Actually, the entire Old Testament points to someday where God was going to bring a Savior who's going to fix the sin issue that every single one of us have. And in fact, we see it all the way further than that. We see that back in the garden with Adam and Eve. When they first sinned, that's where we see where God's like, man, this is going to cost me. Our relationship is broken because of sin, because God can't be with sin. And he came up with a plan to fix that. And so the main thing that the angel was communicating with Zechariah wasn't that, hey, you're going to have a kid that you've been praying for for a long, 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 long time, for decades even. All right, that's not it. That's not the great news. The great news is that, hey, the Messiah is coming and your kid is just going to be a tiny footnote in his story. And so sure enough, when Zechariah gets home, his wife Elizabeth, she becomes pregnant. And then we see roughly six months later, an angel shows back up. And this time is the story that we know. He goes to a young teenage girl, and this is what happens, all right? So Luke's investigated all of this. All of this. He says, um, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. Now, the thing you got to understand about Nazareth is that there is nothing going on in Nazareth. It was like one of those little hick towns um, back then, and uh, it wasn't known for anything. In fact, there's only about 100 people living in Nazareth. It's like, uh, it like Old Fort, okay? So we all understand, all right? Like the only thing going on in Old Fort is the train that goes by like 20 times a day, okay? That's the coolest thing, and that's the most exciting thing in Old Fort. That's kind of what Nazareth was like. In fact, if you remember, 30 years later after this, Jesus, he's doing his thing. Remember when he's calling his disciples? Like he's picking out which one? He's like, hey, I want you, you, you. Why don't you guys come follow me? And uh, one of the guys' name is Nathaniel. And when Nathaniel hears that Jesus is from Nazareth, I mean, Nathaniel's just like, Nazareth, you kidding me? Man, there ain't nothing com good coming out of Nazareth. I mean, the whole assumption is that Nazareth is, is nothing. Like, it's, it's, it's not worthy to even be called a town. It's one of those towns that you pass through that's like you get gas because you have to, and you wash the bugs off your windshield, and then you keep moving because there's nothing else to do. That's Nazareth. And so even that, it's like Luke, he has to describe where Nazareth is. He's like, it's, it's this little town, you probably never heard of it, in Galilee, which is a big region. And so um, he says, this angel comes to Nazareth to a virgin who is engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So here we're introduced to this, to this lady, or to this young girl, really, named Mary. Mary would have been about 14, maybe 15 years old at this point in her life. And uh, we learn a th few things. Number one, Mary's a virgin. So if you're a middle, school, you could, middle, middle schooler, you could go ahead and blush all right, um, after that. And then uh, number two, Mary, she was engaged uh, to, a, to this guy named Joseph. Now, the thing we got to understand about engagement, especially back then compared to engagements today, is that uh, things were very, very, very different. In fact, back then, um, kind of the way things worked with marriage and engagement is that a young man and his fiance would be legally married, okay, in the eyes of the court and everything, but they would have to wait a year after they were married to, to 
live together or to sleep together, which sounds like the dumbest you know, tradition I think I've ever heard of in my entire life. But that's what they did. And so in those days, um, marriages, unfortunately, they were arranged, meaning parents got to choose who your spouse is. Can you imagine just how that would be if that was still going on today? Right? Like, you'd be married probably to some very different people. Um, that's just how it is. Um, I know we probably have some parents in here that you're probably like, well, actually, that doesn't sound so bad because I think my son could do a lot better than, you know, like that, whatever. You're probably right. That's cool. But uh, that's just not how it is. And so parents, think about it. You got to choose a wife for your son or your daughter. Or son, okay. Husband for your daughter. And so if you had a son you not only would choose his wife for him, but you also had to pay this huge price to the bride's family. It was something called a bride price or a dowry. There's a lot of cultures around the world that still do this to this day. And now that I have a daughter, that part of the tradition doesn't sound so bad, but we're not doing that anymore. But the groom and the family who are paying this large sum of money to the bride's parents they would want to make sure that this girl is not pregnant, which makes sense, that he, she's not carrying somebody, some, some um, other man's child. And so what they would do is they would get married, they would pay their price, and then they would wait a year just to make sure that she wasn't, that she wasn't pregnant. So they wait a year, they would not live together, they would not sleep together, and uh, for that whole year they'd be considered married, and, uh, and you couldn't really even get out of it. The only way you could is you would have to have a divorce, even though they would never maybe even... Maybe they don't, the bride and groom don't even know each other at this point. That year period is the time period that the angel goes and, um, and appears to Mary. And so here he got Mary. She's engaged to a guy named Joseph. And the angel appears to her and says, he says, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Right? Which at this case, she's just like, what is going on here? It says, she was deeply troubled by this statement. So she hears this, and she's just like, I don't know, is this good? Is this bad? I'm not quite sure. Like, what's going on? And she starts freaking out, which, by the way, is the typical response of anybody. Again, like we mentioned last week, when people and angels mix in the Bible, right, it always ended up with the people freaking out. Okay, that's what happened every single time, basically. Um, and it's funny, because we view angels in our culture, I don't know why we do this, we just do. We view angels in our culture as like, I don't know, like our grandma looking down at us, making sure, like taking the wheel when we need it, like that type of thing. Or we view angels like, you know, naked babies, bouncing back and forth, and they get their wings, and yeah, I don't know, like all that stuff. I don't know where that all comes from. We view angels as gentle and cute, but the Bible says when angel shows up, it t- I mean, more often than not, people lose their minds. People freak out because these are like otherworldly, like dangerous beings. Last week, we talked about Zechariah. Remember, he goes, and there's this angel that kind of appears before him, and what's he do? He freaks out. He has the same reaction as Mary here. And so she is troubled by this statement. She doesn't know if this is good. She doesn't know if this is bad. She's wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Like, like what's, what's this mean? And the angel tells her, he's like, whoa, 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 Mary, 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 Mary. Don't be afraid. Why has he got to tell her not to be afraid? Because she's afraid. Okay, that's why. He says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, one thing I want to point out real quick. Notice that it doesn't say you have earned favor with God. It doesn't say that. It's like, I don't know where we get this, but it's like we, we have this idea of like this angel, 
coming down. It's like first Christmas, and he's like, yo, what's up, Mary? How's it going? Um, guess what? Uh, this is about to be the first Christmas, and you're about to play a big part. And you don't even know what Christmas is because you've never experienced a Christmas before, but this is going to be awesome, and God's got big plans, and it involves you, and it involves kings, and shepherds, and stars, and a baby. And so that's basically all you need to know. We have this like idea that, that God's like looking around, and he's trying to find like the most righteous person that he can, or he's trying to find the best of the best, or, or someone who's like perfect, as if there were anybody who were perfect. And, uh, and then he's looking around, and he's like, oh yeah, there is one perfect person, and that's Mary. I'm going to use her. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. In fact, this word favor right here is really the same word that we get the word grace from. And so grace by definition, or favor by definition, is not earned. It's not earned. It's not earned because she's so good. It's not earned because Mary is so, like, like God looks down on her. He's like, man, I am so impressed with this 14-year-old girl. She gets all A's, all right? She is nice to her family, and that never happens, you know? And, like, like that doesn't happen. That's not how it goes. In fact, it's the idea that she has absolutely not earned favor, but God is showing her favor anyway. By the way, that's what grace is. That's what God offers to all of us is we have not earned favor in any way. We have not earned grace in any way. That's not what grace is. Grace is him showing us favor when we have not earned it. In fact, that's why she's afraid because she knows how messed up she is and all of a sudden God has a message for her. It's kind of like back in middle school, you know, once in a while, I would hear over the loudspeaker be like, um, could you send Zach Pinkerton to the office, please? You know, it's just one of those things where I'm just like, okay, usually it wasn't because they forgot to give me some award, right? Like, that's usually not it. It'd be like I did something dumb. And so um, it's just one of those things where here, God has a message for her, and she knows that she is not perfect, and she knows how she has messed up probably better than anybody else. And so she's freaking out a little bit, and she doesn't know what to think, and she doesn't know if this is good. And the angel begins to give her the plan. He's like, hey, Mary, okay, chill. Don't be afraid. It's all good. God favors you. Right? He's showing you grace. He's showing you grace. And he says, here's the plan. All right? Listen, little peasant girl. The plan is you, God picked you. He says, you will conceive and you will give birth to a son. And you will name him Jesus. He says, he will be great. Now, how great? He, she does not know how great he's talking about. She has no clue about how great. He will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's how great it will be. She has no idea. And he says, no, you don't understand. He's going to be great, like great, great, like greater than you can ever imagine. And he will be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He says he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom, man, his kingdom, he's like, it's not going to have any end. I mean, think about it. Here's God. He comes up with a plan to fix our sin problem. And, and he does this, which we see in the Old Testament. It's through this person called the Messiah. It's through the person called the Savior. And God has been promising this to the Jewish people for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years. And here, after all of this, and the whole Old Testament's pointing to it. We got a plan. We got a plan. We got a plan. It's going to be awesome. And while all the Jewish people, they're all been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Here we find out what the plan is. God's big plan that we've been waiting for for thousands of years since the beginning of time is that he's going to go, think about it, to a no-name middle school girl in the middle of nowhere who's uneducated, she can't read, she will never do anything extraordinary in her life, and her only future is to live with her carpenter husband for the rest of her life, dirt poor in a tiny no-name town. That's his plan. We're going to go to that person. 
we're going to go to that girl. And it's so interesting to me because think about it. Like, at this point in history, the Roman Empire is there, like exists. And the Roman Empire is probably the biggest empire that's ever existed in the world, um, even to this day. And, and they own like basically most of the world. And you got one person in charge of the Roman Empire, the emperor. And it's like, why didn't God go to that guy? Well, why not? Why doesn't God go there? He doesn't go to a king. He doesn't go to a prince. No head of government. He skips all the important educated people from our eyes. And he goes to an ignorant, dirt, poor girl who's insignificant even in her own family. You know, part of me wonders if, um, you know, I'm guessing this conversation had to have happened at some point where God's up in heaven. He's like doing his thing. Like, what's up, guys? He's got his angels. And he goes to Gabriel. He calls him over. He's like, hey, Gabe, um, this is what we're going to do. I need you to send a message. And Gabriel's like, yeah, whatever you want, God. He's like, first, I want you to go talk to Zechariah. And he's the first person that you're going to tell that, that the Messiah is coming. Like, it's time. My plan is ready to go into motion. So you go do that. He comes. He's like, yeah, God, I took care of it. I had to, uh, I had to, I had to punish him real quick for something. You know, he's not allowed to talk, which we'll get into in a second. But uh, I took care of that. Um, but he's like, all right, what else do you need me to do? He's like, okay. All right. Now, six months later, now he's like, now I need you to go and I want you to, um, I want you, I want you to go to that one. And I'm guessing Gabriel, he's just like, that's the angel's name. He's just like, you sure? Wait, okay, God, I know this is your plan. This is your big plan. We've all been waiting for your plan. I'm super excited to see what your plan is, but you want me to go to that one? That little dirty one over there? <laughs> like, you sure? Like, that's the, that's the one? And God's like, yeah, the one with the braces, you know? Like, that's the one that I'm going to use. See, it's not like, like Mary is not like the pictures that we see. We, we have this idea of Mary and we get this from like art, you know, from, I'm guessing we see pictures and just all this stuff, even in churches where it's like, no, Mary was not ever sitting on a gold throne with a gold crown on her head surrounded by angels and stuff, right? Like Mary didn't have rosy cheeks dressed in nice clothes. She probably never wore nice clothes in her entire life and she wasn't in her mid-30s or 40s, okay? Like the pictures that we all look at, all right? That's not who she was. See, God is sitting here and he's telling the angel, he's like, no, 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 I want you to go to that junior high girl over there. Think about it. We don't even give junior high girls like a license or a permit or anything. And let alone, here's this one who's getting ready to raise God at like age 14. I mean, it's crazy. And Mary hears this and you can imagine, she's just like, wait, what? You, you got the wrong Mary? Because there's a Mary down the street that's like probably better than, are you sure? And the angel's like, I mean, it, or even she asked, she's just like, how can this be? By the way, legit question, right? How? How is this going to happen? All right, how's this, how's this be? Are, are you sure you got the right, you sure you got the right person? How can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel answers her, and he's like, okay, here's the deal. Like, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. He's saying, actually, there's not going to be a man in the mix. Okay, this is actually going to be a, it's going to be a miracle. It's going to be something special. He is not going to have an earthly father. This is actually from God. This is a miracle. You got to understand. And she's just like, I don't understand. All right, I don't understand how. And I was thinking about this week as I was looking through this, I'm like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Isn't this the same question that Zechariah asked the angel last week? Right? Remember? He got in trouble. 
Remember, he asked the same question. Zechariah is told, hey, you're going you're gonna to have a child. And, um, and, and Zechariah, he's just like, whoa, whoa, buddy, I don't know if you understand how things work here on earth, but I am too old to have children. Like, like seriously, I am, I am old. And he's like, how am I going to have a kid? And remember what the angel did? The angel put him in time out for, for nine months. Remember that? All right? Not cool. Bummer for him. And I was looking at this. I'm just like, whoa, whoa, isn't this the same question? Like, Mary seems to ask the same thing. Same angel, by the way. Same guy. And it's not like God sent the nice one to Mary and the, kind of the grumpy one with attitude to, to Zechariah. That's not, that's not what God did. All right? But here, Mary asks the same question, but she doesn't get in trouble. See, there appears to be two different types of questions that they're asking. They're asking the same thing, but they come from two different angles. Zechariah, he comes from this idea of like defiant doubt. He hears what the angel's saying. The angel's like, you are going to have a child. Your wife's going to have a child, right, through you. And I know you both are crazy old, but it's going to be crazy, and God's going to do it. And he's just like, he's just like, that's impossible. All right, look at me, man. Look at me. It's impossible. All right, that's how Zechariah comes out. He's like, how? How then? But Mary, hers is different. Hers is like almost a, picture it this way, like a humble wonder. She, wonder, she hears what the angel's telling her. The angel's like, you're going to have a child and he ain't going to have a dad. It's going to be crazy. It's never happened before. And it's going to be a miracle from God. And she's just like, how? Like, like that's crazy. It's like, a, it's like a humble wonder part of it. Um, when I was growing up, actually my whole life, I, uh, my dad's side of the family lives in Colorado near the mountains, Rocky Mountains. And, you know, I grew up basically going out to the mountains two or, you know, one or two times a year. And I've been out there where it's in the middle of the night. I'm standing up and and the sky is crystal clear and you're just looking up at the sky and there's just like, there's no other lights around. And you're just like, there are just billions of stars. Like crazy. It's like a picture off Google where you're just like, dude, this is crazy. Never seen it in Ohio. But out there, it's just like, dang, this is nuts. It's like, it's like, impossible to even begin counting. And then you're looking at, and it's like the more you focus in on one section of the sky, it's like the more stars appear. And you're just like, dude, this is, this is just crazy. It's one of those, it's kind of like the same, the same feeling. It's just like, man, how? How did God do this? Like this is, it just makes us feel so insignificant and it reminds us of God's power. And that's kind of the wonder that Mary has. She is just like, Wow, that's crazy. That sounds awesome. She's not doubting that God can't do what he says he's going to do. She is in awe and she is in wonder. By the way, wouldn't you be? And so she asks, how? And what's interesting, if you notice, the angel doesn't really give her a clear answer. The angel's just like, Holy Spirit, he's going to do it. Don't worry about it. But then he points to Zechariah's wife. He says, all right, I don't, I'm not going to explain all the details. He doesn't say, hey, three days from now, you're going to be walking down the road, and all of a sudden, it's going to be like, bow, you know, like, baby. It's not how it's going to be, all right? He doesn't tell her anything. He's like, God's going to take care of it. He's going to make this happen. And he says, and guess what? Remember your cousin or your, your relative, Elizabeth? Elizabeth, picture is like a great aunt type figure, all right? Elizabeth, who we talked about last week, was Zachariah's wife. Mary and Elizabeth are actually related to each other. They know each other. And so John the Baptist and Jesus were kind of like cousins type thing. They're semi-related. And so um, the angel, he, he points out Elizabeth. He's like, you remember Elizabeth? Your great aunt, great auntie Elizabeth, you know, whatever. And uh, he says, even she has conceived a son in her old age. And it sounds like even the angel's like, like surprised. He's like, dude, 
even she's got a kid. Like, if God can do that through her, he can do this through you. He says, and this is actually the sixth month for her who is called childless. She even has this nickname, the one who can't have kids, right? Like, that's her name. Her name is, oh, the childless one, right? Which had to have sucked, right? He says, for nothing will be impossible with God. See, the angel reminds her something that I think every single one of us need reminded about. And that something that seems so impossible to to us in our viewpoint, super easy for God. Not hard for God. You ever feel like you're in an impossible situation? (laughs) You ever feel that way? Maybe you look around at Christmas and, I don't know, maybe you feel like you're parenting your child is just impossible. You ever feel that way? We're like, all you do, yeah, you just feel like, you're just like, man, all I do is punish. Like, and all they do is rebel. Like, there's just nothing that changes. And you feel like there's no relationship. Like, your relationship with your child that was really, really good at one point in your life, it just feels like it's just slipping away. And you're asking yourself, you're like, is this what parenting's supposed to look like? Like, where did I go wrong? It feels impossible. Or maybe for you, it's your marriage. Does your marriage ever feel impossible? And you, I get you're here and you play it off so good. Okay, I understand that. But in reality, you haven't talked to your wife or your husband in like six months. Not like really talked. Sure, you argued all the way here. All right, one of those pre-church fights. We've all been there before. Okay, but, uh, but, but you haven't really talked in a long, long time. And, or maybe for you, it's even worse than that. Maybe for you, he or she has already left. And you feel like there's just no hope. Like there is just no way that it can improve. Or maybe for you, it's some sort of addiction. Like it's just taken over your life. And it never used to be like this, but it is how it is now. And you've, you've done all the things. Like you've signed the stuff. You've made the promises. You've gone to the meetings. You've committed so many times in your life. And you've promised yourself. And you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed. And you still struggle and you still battle. And it just still, it seems like it just, it just completely overpowers you. You cannot pull it off. You cannot take it off. And it's just there. Feels impossible. Maybe for you, it's some sort of bitterness. Right? Like you feel like you just can't forgive that person. The problem is for you, like that person who did that thing to you so long ago, whatever it was, the, fe- the problem is, is that you're, you have to sit around the table with that person this next week and you got to act like it's all good. You feel like it's impossible. See, I get that this seems impossible to you, but this is what the angel's telling them. The angel, this is what angel's telling Mary. He's saying, yeah, this thing might be impossible for you in your life, but for God, it ain't nothing. Like nothing is impossible for him. He looks at this and he says, oh, that's easy fix. I can do that. I can take care of that. And the thing that he gives us, he actually, you know, this book right here, he actually gives us the answers to a lot of our problems. It's just we don't follow it. That's our problem. See, Mary, check this out. She doesn't get all of her questions answered. And she doesn't understand the how and she doesn't understand the why. But this is how she responds. She says, see, I'm the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. So here's this girl, simple girl from a simple town with a simple faith. 
It's funny because we think God owes us, you know, or that God has even called us to live an easy and comfortable life. I don't know where we get that from. It's just maybe it's just what we wish for. But here, check this out. Here's Mary. She hasn't really, you know, she's not perfect by any means. She's a sinner just like all of us. But here he is. He blows up her life. 14-year-old girl. He blows up her life. I mean, think about it. You think Joseph's going to understand? You think Joseph is going to be like, oh, yeah, okay, like an angel came to you and told you that you're pregnant, and this is a miracle, baby. Okay, yeah, I totally believe it. You think, you think he's going to buy that? There's no way. All right, here's this, his wife who he has never even touched, never even, you know, he's never lived with, never slept with. She ends up pregnant, and, and she's got this story about an angel, and, and it's a miracle, baby, from God. Right, no, everybody's going to be thinking the same thing. Like, this girl is off her meds. Like, somebody figure something out. Like, help this girl. She's, she's messed up. Right? And then the angel, we know, eventually tells Joseph, but that's not for months and months later. And so for months, she is doing this thing alone. I mean, think about what her parents think or her neighbors. Right? Think about what everybody around her is going to think. I mean, her reputation is ruined. Everybody, again, this is only like a 100-person town, so everybody knows everybody, if you can imagine that. And so Joseph, he's also there, and, and everybody knows Joseph. We know that Joseph was like a really, really, really good guy. And everybody's just going to be like, you know, you cheated. How could you cheat on Joseph? Like, he's just, he's just such a good guy. And, and everybody's going to know. And not only that, but having an affair within their culture, it was punishable by death. And so here you got the angel. He just drops this bomb on her. And for us, it seems like a simple thing. Oh, you get to have a baby. How cute. How precious. But for her, in her current situation and where she was at the time she was living, I mean, this was like, this was a, a big, big deal. And here the angel calls her favored, and none of this sounds favorable. Yet she did not choose comfort or financial security or a good reputation. She knew that this would cause her to get a divorce, and she knew that because of that, she will have to provide on her own. She will have to become a beggar, and she's going to have to take care of herself and this future baby. She knew that her reputation was shot and that she would be looked at probably for the rest of her life as that person who cheated on her husband. We see this actually 30 years later. Remember when everybody, um, everybody seems to know. Remember when Jesus, he's doing his thing and the religious leaders, remember how they, they poked fun at him where they, where they kind of slammed him? They were like, hey, at least we know who our father is. Remember when they said things like, hey, we weren't born from an affair like you were? I mean, that's 30 years later and everybody seems to know. So here's Mary. She carries this reputation really for the rest of her life. Yet this 14 to 15 year old girl stands there in a sense before God, and she says, all right, God, take from me. Whatever I got, whatever I have, it's yours. Whatever you need, whatever you want. See, in this moment, I don't think, you know, Mary didn't understand all that it would cost her, but I think she had a pretty good idea. And my question that I want us just to think about this, this week and today, this is what I was thinking about this week, is just like, how far are you willing to go to serve God? Like, how far? I think on the surface, all of us, we're all, we all are the same. We're like, sure, yeah, all right? We call ourselves a Christian, which may not be everybody in this room, but, you know, we're like, well, I, yeah, I want to serve God. Right, whatever God wants, I'm good with. But that's not the reality. If we dig down below the surface, what our answer actually is, is sure, whatever God wants, as long as it doesn't cost me anything. See, we don't even do the simplest things that God has asked us to do. 
I mean, actually, uh, if we are saved in here, if we've given our life over to Jesus at some point in our life, which probably isn't everybody in this room, but what God tells us, if we are truly a Christian, all right, kind of a, from day one, the first thing that we start doing is, is we get on mission and we start, we, we focus on doing the job that God has called all of us as Christians to do, which is to do whatever we possibly can to reach as many people as we possibly can for Jesus. And so it doesn't matter if we've been, if we've been a Christian for one day or if we've been a Christian for, for 10 decades, it, I guess that'd be a long time, all right, for decades, all right, it doesn't matter, all right, 10 decades, that works, 100, all right, it doesn't matter, all right, God says we all have the same job to do, and each and every one of us, we are all equally as qualified to do that job, and that is to reach our family and friends for Jesus, but none of us, I mean, for a lot of us, we just don't do that because it feels weird. Or it's awkward, or we reason with ourselves. We're like, what if they ask me a question that I don't know? Or what if, you know, I don't want them to view me. How are they going to view me? I don't want to be too pushy. I hear that a lot. And it's like, dude, we all got family and friends and neighbors and coworkers who are on the path to hell. That's what Jesus said. And that should bother you. Man, that should bother you. And so we should be out there telling them about the good news, what Jesus has done for them 2,000 years ago. They, they can have hope and they can have forgiveness, which I promise you, deep down inside, is what they're searching for in their life. You have the answer. We just don't give it to them. You know, sometimes I wonder, I'm like, I don't like to think about this, but it's like, I wonder if my friends and family or whoever, um, someday... They choose not to give their life to Jesus, which a lot of people do that. We know that. And someday they're in hell. I wonder what they would think about me, you know? They got eternity to think about it. It's a long time. They're like, dude, Zach knew. He knew what I was looking for, and he didn't try to, like, convince me of it. He didn't try to convince me I was wrong when I was searching in the wrong places. He didn't try to do anything about it. He didn't even tell me. I I think that's the reality of how it is. And if you're too scared to talk to people about Jesus, which is messed up as a Christian, I'm just saying, off mission, I'm just, it's just reality. If you're too scared, at least invite them to church where somebody else will. Especially this week. This is the best week out of the year. Again, I don't understand it, to invite people to church. So invite, 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 invite. See, we're so consumed with our comfort that we're not willing to feel awkward or to feel a little weird, all right? We're not willing to give up any of our comfort with a friend or even a coworker or family member. Sometimes it's the people that we care about the most. See, in many ways, I feel like this poor middle school girl is more spiritually mature than a lot of us are. She was a girl who was a sinner like us, she struggled like us, and she's favored like us. And here's a girl who's planning for her wedding. She's at the most exciting time of her life, and God just blows it up. She blows, he blows up all of her plans, and her life gets complicated fast. And the stage is set for the biggest and the greatest story in the history of the world. And we'll talk about that this coming weekend for our Christmas services. All right, let's pray. God, we, um, we thank you for the story. We thank you for coming. I can't imagine how that was like. The king of kings, God of the universe, being born in the dirt in a barn. But God, we thank you so much for doing it. Lord, we thank you for telling us the story and giving us this account that we could understand and we can know 
how things were and we can learn from it. And Lord, please, we ask that we would be a lot more like Mary, that we'd be willing to serve you even when it costs us. God, that serving you would be the most important thing in our life and telling others about you would be the most important thing in our life and it's really the most important compared to our comfort, which is what a lot of us, which is what the world is constantly pursuing. God, we thank you for this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.